Let's um, open our Bibles at Job chapter 28. Uh, Job in the Old Testament, uh, chapter 28. And before uh, we read with our Bible open before us, let's, um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray earnestly for our Sunday school class just now. We, we do thank you for each boy and girl. We pray for the homes that they come from. And we pray that you give their parents wisdom as they seek to raise them in the ways of the Lord. We know that in these days that is not an easy task. And we pray for Deborah and Karen as they teach today uh, from your word that you would give them um, the blessing of uh, showing and telling the boys and girls the gospel and leading them again to the story of Jesus, uh, who can save them. Uh, we pray for those who attended the youth group on Friday night, and we thank you for, for that, and we pray you would equip those who know you already to live uh, in, a, in a world that, that, that by and large is, is opposed to the things of God, and also we pray that those who, who don't yet know the Lord would, uh, through gift, turn, to the, turn from their sins and be drawn to the same Jesus they see in others. Lord, we, we pray for our um, sick and, and elderly members today. We, we think about uh, Violet and her continuing struggles with that infection. We pray for, for Kath and we pray for Sadie and June and Eddie and Rose and Ruth. Father, Ruth's with us today, as is Eddie. Or we continue to remember um, Roberta, who's with us. And, uh, and we thank you for uh, your help in their lives, Father. But we pray you continue to do that work that only you can do in encouraging them and helping them through the struggles of living um, with the difficulties of sickness. We pray, Lord, for those who've been having a tough time after the last 18 months, Father, and all the impact of social well-being, that, that important aspect that it means to be a human being, that we need to speak to people and we need to be with people. And we, we pray that you would sustain and help us as we seek to in some way open up further. And uh, we think about the um, invite your neighbors idea, Lord, and we pray you'd help us with that and um, to be um, active in our streets and where we live, Lord, to reach out and, um, and get to know people again and, and be able to invite them, as it were, uh, in a few weeks' time along to church with us. Father, we pray for the Steele family in Kirkcubbin after the loss of little Harry. Such a terrible loss, so heartbreaking, so tragic. Please be their very near comfort uh, and strength today. Father, we thank you that um, many of that family knew the Lord, and that makes a big difference, Father, but it's still awful. We pray for Deborah as she begins her time with Asia Link uh, in Cheshire. Please give her um, encouragement today as she settles into a new church family over there. Um, and she's coming back to Northern Ireland for some work over the next couple of weeks. And we pray you'd bless her in all that travel and help her. We pray for Chris as he preaches today in Malayal before he begins his placement next month. And we ask that you would help him uh, and Susanna and Polly as they uh, leave us for a while uh, and be further equipped uh, uh, in, the, in gospel ministry. Bless um, Tim Timothy as he comes and joins with us in a similar vein uh, next month. We pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan in all sorts of difficulty as they wait to see what sort of regime they now fall under the power of, Father. But we do recognize that the, the heart of the king is in your hands, Father, and, and we pray that you would work uh, for good in this situation. Uh, we pray that you would sustain our persecuted brothers and sisters uh, in Afghanistan uh, on this Sunday and across the world today as they meet harsh aggression. They need protection. 
We pray for our hearts, Father, as we've just been singing, that you would prepare them, that your word would take root in our hearts and we'd be planted deep in them, Lord. We pray that our lives would be changed by your word. We pray that this time tomorrow we would be able to put into practice and even this time, even in a few hours, Father, as we leave this place, that we'd be able to put into practice what your word has been pointing out and showing us. And, um, and, and, and doing that work of change deep in our hearts that only you can do. And we pray you'd help us to desire those changes as we seek to become more like Christ, which is your purpose for us as your people. Bless us now, we ask, in Jesus our Saviour's name. Amen. So we're looking at, uh, in Job uh, chapter 28. We're going to read from verse number 12, um, if you have your Bible open. Job uh, chapter 28 and reading from verse number 12. And there we read God's word. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says, it is not in me. And the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold, and silver cannot be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onks or sapphire, onyx or sapphire. Gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of crystal. The price of wisdom is above pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. From where then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and death say, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it and he knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and apportioned the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and declared it. He established it and searched it out. And he said to man, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. And we'll end our reading at the end of the chapter. School has started back. Further education, of course, can't be far away. This month, imagine the scene with me for a moment or two. Uh, it's your first day. Uh, you're new to this place. Uh, you, you haven't a clue where you're going, but puffing and, and panting, you finally arrive a few minutes late to the room where you're meant to be. A room full of people less late than you are. But how do you know when you sit down in the lecture hall or in the classroom of your brand new place of education that the person in front of you doing the teaching is wise enough? You've only just landed in. You haven't checked their qualifications. I mean, they could be anybody you, you don't know whether they've snuck in or if they're actually part of the teaching staff or faculty. You'd maybe, better, you'd maybe be safer to do some independent study. There's an element of trust in play, isn't there? Trust plus uh, an element of taking your place as, as he or she begins the teaching plan. And you listen and take it in and are influenced. When it comes to a statement like, God is wise, we are in a somewhat similar position. 
Nowhere in the Bible does God lay out his credentials. Nowhere is his wisdom qualifications laid bare or hung on a wall for us to critique. We're just put in our place, our seat, our place in the lecture hall, and he is at the front, as it were. Let's talk about original wisdom. No, just like the Bible doesn't seek to justify God's existence, so it is with his wisdom. It just says God is wise. And for you and I to fear God as the beginning of the steps to wisdom. The Bible says that God founded the world in wisdom. It says that in Proverbs 3. He was there and he was wise. God is the potter. He, we are the clay. He is our creator and boss. He is the wise one, the old master, the sage. And we are the, we are the student, the pupil. The Apostle Paul comes to the end of his, one of the finest defenses of the gospel ever written. His massive treatise on the judgment of God and his saving righteousness in Christ Jesus. The book of Romans, in other words. And this is what he says in the very last verse. To the only wise God be glory forevermore. To the only wise God be glory forevermore. Paul is not suggesting that there are other gods who are less wise. No, he's saying that the only wise one is God. And as we sit and listen, God tells us from his own wisdom, his own book, that he is wise. Listen to earlier in the book of Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid from, for, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. God has no counselor he has no master that, has been, that he has been a young Padawan in training to, if you'll forgive the Star Wars idea. He, he's not indebted to anyone for his understanding. He's not been given a gift from anyone. Someone has defined wisdom as knowing what the greatest goal is in any situation and what the best way is to achieve it. It, it's, it's different from, wisdom, from, from knowledge. Wisdom is different from knowledge, but, but it certainly assumes knowledge. The two do overlap, for you can't exercise wisdom without knowledge of, of situations and, and circumstances. But we're talking about God here, uh, God's wisdom, not ours. And God, of course, knows the best goal in every situation, for he always has total and perfect knowledge of billions and billions of factors and jigsaw pieces that come into play in every situation. That enables him to know the best, the best way, the best purpose to, to work. And, and he does that. He does that. He is the original wise one. And his pool of wisdom is deep, we just read in Romans. Everything you or I have produced or said, every idea is based on the influence of someone else somewhere. I don't know if you realize that. It's to some extent copied or even influenced every idea you or I have had, basically. Uh, we... we when you eventually get to, to hear Bill James preach at our church weekend, you may recognize some of his influence over me. I don't know. 
Uh, I, I, knew, um, I knew the pastor in one of the churches in Bangor, and, and I can see his father, Freddie, coming out in him. Uh, some of you may know who that is, though he might not thank me for saying it. Because we are influenced by people. Mark Twain once said, there is no such thing as a new idea. It is impossible. We simply take a lot of old ideas and put them into a sort of mental kaleidoscope. Wise words. But I wonder who influenced him. Solomon? There's nothing truly new under the sun, says Solomon, Ecclesiastes. You see? But, but the idea, of course, is but that we have to think about the one who, who made the sun. We have to think about God, who's no copycat. He's no rehasher of ideas. He's no re- restater of others. He hasn't been influenced. He's not a chip off the old block of anyone. His wisdom is original. His wisdom predates our world. He's the source of all wisdom. The one at the front of the room, as it were, doing the teaching in the, in the divine lecture hall is the fount of all wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And before such a one, the Northern Ireland phrase, you're not wise, is true of all of us. That's original wisdom. What about revealed wisdom? Let's read another passage in Proverbs together. If you want to turn with me, forward a couple of books to Proverbs chapter 8. And we're going to pick up the first verse of Proverbs chapter 8. And this is what God says. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries out aloud. To you, O man, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Verse 22. The Lord possesses, possessed me at the beginning of his work, at the first of his acts of old, Ages ago I was set up, at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the, dust, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens I was there, when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me, 
finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. And at verse 36, wisdom is being personified here in, verse, in Proverbs 8. In other words, it's been given like a, like, like a character, uh, this, like, like a literary technique that's being used to, to give wisdom a voice and hands and feet. It shows us that, that wisdom is, is a practical thing. It's, it's not just a, a sort of book smart sort of thing. Some have called her Lady Wisdom the way this is being presented. Lady Wisdom is here and she's calling out on the streets. Does not Wisdom call, verse 1 says, does not understanding raise her voice. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. She's like a lady calling out in the streets. And notice the importance of divine wisdom in this passage. Did you, did you hear it? It's presented there as the source of a, of a full life. Verse 34 For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. You you want a life with meaning and purpose? Of course you do. You want your best life now? Of course you do. It's found listening to Lady Wisdom. It's found listening to God, in other words. The alternative is not a sort of lesser life or a life sort of half-lived. No, no, it's worse than that. The alternative at the very end is, is injury and disaster and gloomy darkness. In verse 36, it's death. But notice wisdom's desirability here. It's very striking. Notice how it's repeatedly stated as more important and better than precious things that people want. Verse 10 says, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all you may desire cannot compare with her. Do you remember Job at the beginning when we read it there in chapter 28? It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir. Gold and glass cannot equal it. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it or can be be valued in pure gold. Things that people die trying to dig out of the ground in Africa today cannot be valued compared to wisdom. All of these precious stones, all all the gold, all the silver that you have to dig up. And I guess that's the point as well, isn't it? That that you have to work very hard to get to them. That speaks of desirability, but also the the difficulty in getting wisdom. Job 28, Job asks, from where then does your wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding? Where are we going to find it, God? Where are we going to find it? And he responds with this, it's hidden from the eye of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. It's not an easy task. It's not found in the land of the living, Job writes, and, and the deep sea uh, and the deep and the sea both say the same words. It's not in me. And so we begin to think, is this a futile quest? Is this worth the effort? How are we going to find it? But the real reason that it's so hard to get is, is to emphasize that human beings cannot get it on their own. It's impossible. Biblically, wisdom is not presented as a reach up and grab sort of thing. Or a deep dig deep down and and mine it and discover it sort of thing either. Humanly speaking, the quest for wisdom is just the blind leading the blind and there's a ditch waiting for them both. Biblically speaking, wisdom, true wisdom, is only ever a gift from God. That's the way the Bible states it. 
Proverbs 2 verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes understanding and knowledge. James, in his New Testament book, speaks of the wisdom from above. For that's where it is. Solomon is famous in the Bible for asking God for what? For wisdom. And he's, he wrote two-thirds of our wisdom books. He, he wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. It's a matter of, of gift. It's a matter of heaven sending it. It's a matter of revelation. So rather than questioning the lecturer at the front, we should listen up with the privilege that he's actually imparting it to us, shouldn't we? If it's such a gift. So it's good to get such teaching from God. But who is this, who is this teacher? Yes, wisdom is personified, made to be like a, a lady, lady wisdom in, in Proverbs. But it's also really personified in a true sense later on in our Bibles. In 1 Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 1 describes someone as the wisdom of God twice. The true teacher, the true professor, the true sage, the true wise man, and his name is Jesus. He's the Lord of wisdom. And when he walked on the earth and taught in the synagogues, do you know what they said about him? They were astonished, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. He's, he's the wiser than Solomon. He's the wisdom of God, walking and talking on the earth. Paul writes in Colossians 2 that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the ultimate revelation of God's wisdom. Let's talk about expected wisdom thirdly. When you sit down in church on your seat, well, you want to know that you can trust what is said. There's, a, there's an expected wisdom that's, that's given and received here Sunday by Sunday from this, from this pulpit. Isn't that right? You, you don't want mere morals. You don't want some storyteller. You don't want someone majoring on the minors or giving head knowledge for head knowledge's sake. You want something earthed, something that, 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 that relates to the world that you live in. You certainly don't want false teaching, that's for sure. What you want is wisdom. Wisdom that relates to your life and circumstances. Wisdom to live by. And, and, and what we do as your, as your elders is to seek only to permit faithful Bible teachers to speak those who are, as we read in 2 Timothy 1, who, who, those who guard the good deposit entrusted to them. In other words, gospel men. That the one at the front faithfully presents or represents God and what he says in his word. That's, that's what we do as elders. But, but what you do, what you do is, is to check with the, with the original wisdom, with the, with the master, the words of scripture, in other words. His teaching, the words of Christ, the words of God's wisdom. And the people of Berea were commended in, in the book of Acts for doing precisely that, for checking what was said with the words of Scripture. And I ask you to do the same. The Bible, of course, contains God's wisdom to man. This is his book, his revelation to man. It's, it's a book of, of various types of writings, our Bible. Isn't that right? You can think about Old Testament narrative books like uh, First Kings. You can think about epistles like First Peter. You can think about letters. Uh, epistles are letters. You can think about the major prophets like Jeremiah and the minor prophets like Hosea and Joel. 
And there's also a section of books in the Bible that we refer to as the wisdom books. And there are three of those. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, the wisdom books. Two of them are written by our Old Testament wise man, Solomon, the first two. But if you stop to think about it with me for a second, they are three books that are very different. Proverbs is much more positive. Proverbs is, you know, very positive in that you, you get wisdom and life will be, will be fine. Job, well, that's, that's, that's troubling and, and certainly more negative in tone. Uh, Ecclesiastes, well, it's, it's somewhere in the middle of maybe leaning a little bit more towards Job at times than Proverbs, you, you see. I find this explanation by some guys called um, the Bible Project that I thought was very helpful, and I, I want to read it to you about Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Listen to this. Imagine you've, become, you've just become a parent for the first time, and you want to do a great job of it. So you go out for coffee with Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Proverbs is so excited to hear your news. She says, oh, this is great. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Teach the fear of the Lord. It's, it's the beginning of wisdom. And look, do this, and it's going to go great. Ecclesiastes is a bit more guarded. He says, mm, yes, you'll need wisdom and the fear of the Lord, but it's not guaranteed to go great. I heard about a couple who had two kids, but life can be cruel and there was a tragedy, so make sure you enjoy the little moments of life day by day. Build Lego, even though you can step on it sometimes. Read that bedtime story for the 37th time and enjoy your kids' enjoyment of it. Play Monopoly, even though it's the most boring game in the world. Look to enjoy every day instead of living for some better future time that might not come. Then Job leans over. And he says, you know what? That's right, but I am the guy who lost everything. I'm him. And you know what? I want you to know that if the worst should happen, God won't necessarily give you answers. He didn't justify his purposes or explain the trials that he ordained to me, but he still loves you and he's committed to you and he's still on the throne. And even in the worst of times, he's at work for good in ways that you could never understand. Just look at the cross. Look at the cross. God at work for good in the darkest moment, proving his love that we could never deserve. What do you think of that? Going for coffee with Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. The books of wisdom. Because they're like, they're like three legs of a stool, I would argue to you. I would say to you, suggest today. To, to, be, to be wise in the world, you need the three legs of a stool. Where we, where we live according to God's way, the best way, when things are going great, Proverbs, that when there's always the potential for things to go badly, Ecclesiastes, and then in God's purposes, uh, that you could be the person that it's gone badly for, Job. And Job shows us that the wise instruction of God is the way to live, even when you end up as a sad story that everybody knows. We expect wisdom from God's word. Something practical with hands and feet and a voice as we live our lives. And we find it in the wisdom of scripture. But listen to 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 
verse 21 to 25, and it says these words, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You and I becoming Christians, and most of us are, right? You and I becoming Christians is an act of God's wisdom in the first place. It's an act uh, of wisdom because in its lack of wisdom, the world, the people of the world, did not know God. They had no hope of finding wisdom themselves, as we talked about. We had no hope of finding wisdom ourselves. But, but God, God acts. He, he sends his wisdom from heaven. He comes down himself in the person of Jesus as a gift. And God's way is, is not man's way. There are lots of examples of that in the Bible. Jews, of course, were expecting a sign, we read. Uh, Greeks, you know, they, were, they were book smart, weren't they? They were, they were clever, but, but they, were, they were limited to merely human reason, which is a big limit, isn't it? It's a big handicap to find reason and wisdom. But what we preach, and what we preach from this pulpit, is Christ crucified, a crucified saviour. For Christ is both the power of God to save and the wisdom of God to make sense of what has happened and to enable us to live. And it's in that wisdom that you and I must live. For that's what's expected now of us as Christians. There's expected wisdom of you and I. James is considered to be the the sort of New Testament version of Proverbs. And he writes, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. We're reminded that when we we are not to look uh, within ourselves or to track the Inca trail or to, to ask the Tibetan monks for wisdom, we're to ask God. That's where we find it. For he is the source, the original wise one. And this leads us on, James 3, verse 13. I think this is on the screen. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. No use being, no use being wise in your head. That's what James is saying. No use being all book smart without it showing itself in your conduct. Wisdom is expected in us. James speaks out against jealousy and selfish ambition and, and, and in our hearts he calls it earthly and, and demonic. He's writing to believers, isn't he? We can be jealous of others. It's not wise. We can be jealous of their, their lot, their job, their, their house, their husband, their wife. We can live selfishly. That's not wise. We can prefer me. We can go around promoting the, the brand me. We can, we can do that, but, but that's foolish, the Bible teaches us, even though, even though we're sort of taught to look after number one in, in the world around us, even though advertising is to some extent built on, on envy, right? You could argue that. God's wisdom is the very opposite. But the wisdom from above, we read, is pure, first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and sincere. God's wisdom is, is pure. He's holy. He's good. He's wholesome. And so we must be, brothers and sisters, we must be holy and pure. 
with God's help and his grace. We have heard the wise words. We hear them each Sunday. We hear them when we read our Bibles, day by day, and we must live by them. His boundaries are our boundaries now. We need to prefer others, to be merciful, to do good. We need to see good in others. Not to try and find fault in them so we can feel better about ourselves. We need to be peaceable. That's what we read. Not sparring for a row. To be wise is not just, is not just learning a, a list of, of rules and, and sticking to them. Now, there are some instructions that are, that are clear in the Bible. Non-negotiables. Don't lie, don't steal, don't, don't get drunk, don't commit adultery, other things, yeah? But, but it's actually harder than that to be, to be wise because there, there's an element of, of the circumstances sometimes dictating our actions. You could call them judgment calls. Should I speak now or should I be quiet? Things like that. Paul speaks in places that he wants Christians to make their own right decisions as to the proper behavior based on the specific circumstances that they're in at that point in time. Wisdom guided by the Holy Spirit, he calls it in Colossians 1. In other words, there are situations where you bite your tongue. There are situations where you speak. There's no rule for all situations. There's times to be gentle. Sometimes times to be more assertive. There are times when you lean towards grace, or times you lean towards truth. It, it, it depends, doesn't it? It's spiritual wisdom. There's no kind of rule book that you bring. Yeah, let me just check the rule book here. No, you don't do that. Because as a Christian, you're going to face circumstances that are going to dictate the response, and it requires spiritual wisdom, and that's going to require um, the Word of God. It's going to require uh, maturity. It's going to require prayerful thoughtfulness, isn't it? But we, we never act out of selfish ambition or anger or jealousy. We, we're, we're gentle. We're respectful. That's, that's, our, that's our manner. God's way... It's the best way to live. That's what we know this morning. When life's a breeze, you know, when it's all going great and all the, the wind's blowing in the right direction, or even when it's more somber, like Ecclesiastes talked about, or even worse, like, like Job, I'm the guy. For God made the world, and he knows how it turns. He knows how it runs. God is wise. He's the original source of wisdom. He, he made the world and he made the tracks that run smoothly th through it. You know, the ones we should seek to follow, like, like a train. Every other way is a machete in the jungle. Sounds like fun, but ends up killing you. That's, that's the truth. God's way is the best way. He sends Jesus as the perfect act of, of wisdom as an act of his own. It's no idea that any human being would have come up with. He sends him to die for us as an act of his selfless love. And he expects you and I to live out his wisdom. Listen to the words of 1 Peter 3 as we close. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him speak, seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so as his people, we ought to live out this wisdom. For that's the best way to live 
in any case. To seek to be wise in the calls that we have to make, those judgment calls. To seek to be more like Christ, uh, the master, uh, the wise one. The true wise man of the Bible is Jesus. To make him our chief influencer, you know? The one who, the one who influences and changes and gives us his wisdom. Let's pray for a moment. Father, help us to listen to your wisdom more than the wisdom of the world around us. Help us not to be flooded with that wisdom and hungry paupers in the wisdom of God. And we ask for your grace as we seek to live out and be mature, spiritually wise people of God in this time that we're living in. In its difficulties, Father, give us your grace. Change us, we pray. We know you're committed to that work of changing us to make us more like Christ. And we ask this in his name. Amen.